what led you to switch from agency to brand? I really, over the past several years, have found this deep interest and passion for both the B2B and healthcare spaces. And I'm sure there's someone listening to this podcast right now, rolling their eyes and going, who is passionate about B2B? Healthcare is like the last frontier when it comes to the, the digital transformation. What we've evolved to and we're pivoting to now is to have our platform also include what we're calling advocacy, which is the idea that you and your health plan have this relationship and we can reimagine it to be something that's super empowering. You mentioned something that was very curious, that the distance between an idea and a decision on the brand side is shorter. We basically decided in the course of 48 hours to pivot the direction that we had gone from last year's event, renamed it, rebranded it, and had the registration page live. How much should you invest into marketing and analytics tech as a, as a brand? Oh, marketing. <laughs> you can drive off a cliff with too much MarTech. Hi, and welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Huchua, and joining me today, as always, is my partner, Alex McNamara. Alex, we have a great show on deck for today, and I am absolutely thrilled. Me too. This is going to be amazing. Uh, we're really excited to have this guest on, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great nuggets of information. Yeah, so today's conversation is actually with Alyssa Alzheimer, who is the Vice President of Marketing for Wellframe which is a digital health management platform that is revolution, revolutionizing the way people manage their health outside of the doctor's office and receive advice and care wherever they are. And I think this conversation is actually super timely because health has never been more top of mind than in 2020. And in fact, it's been widely stated that in the eight months since COVID hit the US, the adoption of new health-related technologies such as telehealth has been greater than all previous years combined. Yeah, like health tech has been considered uh, the last frontier because of digital transformation because um, of the barriers of adoption are uh, compounded by regulations, fragmentation of care, reluctance by consumers to try something new when it comes to their own health. But before we dive into that topic, let's start with Alyssa's journey to health tech marketing. Um, Alyssa is an industry veteran, having worked at the leading uh, marketing agencies in Dallas and Boston. Alyssa, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. It's great to be here. Thank you both for having me. Absolutely. This is this is such a treat for us. Um, but yes, let's start with, with you and sort of your transition from agency life to client or brand side life. Um, I think, you know, for me, still agency side, um, what is the, um, so how, do, how is brand marketing like day-to-day -day different to your sort of agency day-to-day? I definitely prefer brand marketing to client side. I think client side has a strange connotation to it. I'd say the biggest difference is that there are no timesheets. Um, I think that's no definitely an improvement. No timesheets to do at the end of the week. Um, so it's definitely a big difference. But I think overall, it's been very interesting after more than a decade on the agency side to really focus on one brand and all of the different aspects of that brand and be able to get the context to the questions that I have. So if I have a question for sales, I don't have to go to the marketing team or the client and ask. I just go to the sales team and we talk about it. Um, it's been good to have a lot less code switching. There's already so much going on right now that it's been nice to be able to focus in one area. 
Um, but I think the biggest thing that I found is that there's actually more similarities than there are differences. And I think we sometimes exaggerate the difference between the two, the two spaces. There's a lot of overlap. Do you yeah, find, so, do, do you find, and sorry, Alex, to butt in, but just you mentioned something that was very curious that the distance between an idea and a decision on the brand side is shorter. Oh, incredibly short. Um, we are preparing for our upcoming client summit in a couple of weeks. And we basically decided in the course of 48 hours to pivot the direction that we had gone from last year's event, renamed it, rebranded it, and had the registration page live. So you are definitely able to walk confidently in a direction after you make a decision. So so agency side, it was very, you were in a digital performance agency, uh, very much focused on digital performance. And, you know, just like you just said, now you are sort of looking after the client summit outside of um, sort of the traditional performance um, remit that you had, what else do you look after within uh, your new role? So I look over the full spectrum of marketing and it's pretty broad. So I look over not only our branding efforts, which on the performance side, that's a very gray area. So building the brand and how we talk about it. But I also got to go back to my roots in public relations, in social media, in communications. We oversee ABM and demand gen. And then there's a significant portion of my team that also oversees what we refer to as customer or member marketing, which is working with our health plan um, clients to get members onboarded into WellFrame. So it's actually like a B2B to C play, which has been really interesting to dig into. And that must be easier to connect all of the dots up if you're sitting over all of it and be able to make a decision that you know will impact two or three different sort of channels that you manage rather than being at the receiving end of a decision and having to execute. And I bet that makes you feel a lot more comfortable sort of doing what you think is right across multiple things than doing what you don't think is right across a specific channel. Yes, it's been really interesting to kind of connect the dots across the silos of the brand to demand gen to ultimately what the member sees and see how all of that comes together. We certainly have a lot of personas and a lot of audiences that we serve. So it's really interesting to see how the brand manifests differently for each of those audiences versus only working with one and having that direction come from some man or woman behind a curtain. I'm curious, you know, as you were talking about your, um, your remit, which is pretty wide. Um, and I'll explain the reason I'm curious about the, but does customer experience or customer service, if you guys have that proposition, does it sit with you or separately your next, next to marketing? So it sits with a separate team. We have a customer um, success team that is absolutely amazing. And they handle both the help desk for our members. So for people who work at health plans, as well as the individual members and people who may be trying to get into the app and forgot their password or are having technical difficulties. We have an entirely separate team for that. I'd, I'd love to, um, and this is not a critique of the set setup in any way, but uh, this has been a recurring theme and a topic for Alex and me over the last few episodes, um, as we've talked to a customer, um, you know, a CX expert, and we kind of started touching on this um, element. It, it feels like we as marketers spend a lot of time bringing in new customers and we spend an amount of you know, time and money thinking about how to bring them in for the first time. And then we, oftentimes the organization sort of outsources it to uh, a different part that's unrelated to marketing, not synced with it in any sort of way. And that retention play uh, sits with them. And um, it becomes very frustrating when they are disjointed. In, in your experience at WellFrame, do you feel like you've managed to build a connection between the two parts of the organization that kind of works in Podico? 
I think we have. We're a smaller organization. Um, we're still kind of in that startup and growth phase. So it's it's easier when you don't have thousands of people that you need to coordinate. Um, I would say we definitely have a lot of strengths in terms of engaging with our health plan customers and understanding across marketing, sales, and customer success, how everything is consistent. Mm -hmm. I think from a member perspective, we've done a lot of work on our brand voice and tone. So when you talk to different teams within Wellframe, it should feel the same way. Like you're having a conversation with someone that's really consistent across the organization. Got it. Got it. Well, that makes sense. And I think it'll be interesting to, to come back to this um, in, in some months or in a year and just hear how you scale that. Because we find that with smaller organizations, you really have this white glove, you know, customer experience approach that becomes really challenging to continue to grow. And so what we've learned in our previous um, conversations with the CX experts is that, you know, you have to put like some really a lot of thought behind it, a lot of thought, a lot of processes so that the difference is not felt by the, by the customers. Um, before we move to the next uh, topic, we did want to ask you uh, sort of on the personal front, what led you to switch from agency to brand? Um, so for me, I really, over the past several years, have found this deep interest and passion for both the B2B and healthcare spaces. And I'm sure there's someone listening to this podcast right now, rolling their eyes and going, who is passionate about B2B? <laughs> That's me. I, I love uh, qualified leads and opportunities and pipeline like any day of the week. Um, so for me, that was an area that I, I really found myself drawn to. And on the agency side, you can you know lean in on some customer or some clients more than others, or you can focus in certain areas. But it's challenging when you are also having to split your attention with other areas. So it was just time, I think, for me to take a leap and try something different. And it was also just such a great match with Wellframe as an organization. Um, what um, what experience? So how did your experience at agency side? Um, help you move um, into your new role? And are there certain traits that agency folks have um, that help them you know, in, in the sort of the brand side? I think there's a lot of traits that help agency folks when they transition over to the brand side. And I don't think that people give each other enough credit. I think everyone gets very siloed into, I will only work with brand people or only work with agency folks. And I think there's amazing capabilities that each have. From an agency person going to work at a brand, it's really about that ability to move super quickly without a lot of information and move confidently in one direction. And I think it, it takes some people aback, but it's been very helpful. And then just the fact that I've experienced in so many different areas. I was on a call with our external video partner today. I helped manage some of the video um, capabilities that we had when I was at Weber Shanwick. So just having touched each of those areas means that I don't have to learn a new language every time we're talking to a new partner or trying to explore a new strategy. And then on the on the flip side, what are the the um, so the things that the brand folks have that you now recognize as being super you know, critical to the to their roles? People on the brand side just understand innately the brand and how it comes to life across the company. I will say sitting in meetings with teams that you didn't have in an agency, you don't really talk to the engineering team or a product team at an agency. So it's really interesting to see how marketing interacts with those. And you can tell the folks that came up through the brand side of things really have that familiarity with how all of those teams work and the best way to work with them. Um, you know, I found uh, through my own experience, having gone back and forth, back and forth, that um, one of the 
great things of having agency folk come to the brand side is that it helps educate uh, people inside of the marketing orgs inside of brands on how to actually work properly with the agencies. Uh, the and I think that's actually a huge a huge gap that that knowledge gap on, on how to engage with agencies and how to extract the most value from that partnership and that relationship. That's uh, that's not something a lot of companies spend time thinking about. No, there is no course on how to be nice to your agency or empathetic to your agency. And I came in and we, we have existing agency relationships. And I hope that I'm bringing a degree of understanding to the table and the information that they need. I think we've brought on some freelancers and external support where our kickoff calls are 10, 15 minutes because I'm like, here's the information I know you need. Here's the brief. I've written it all out for you and let's go. Um, and I think it's really important to be able to work with those partners in a way that's not only respectful, but super efficient. And everyone just feels like there's a strong partnership. Well, we saved, uh, we saved the portion of the show towards the end for Alyssa's amazing advice on how to work <laughs> with uh, agencies. If you are a small uh, or medium-sized business that's, that's looking to scale, a lot of questions that we are getting, Alex and I are around that topic. Should we do uh, something in-house? Should we hire freelancers? Should we look at agencies? And We'd love to um, have have a bit of a deep dive into that. But before we do that, uh, you're in you're in um, in the health space now, and so it only seems uh, appropriate to ask, what was business like before COVID, and did it change after the pandemic and the large scale shift to the to e-commerce, I guess, um, and health related technologies, digital and virtual care? Yes. Um, so business coming into COVID was very strong. People knew digital was coming. Wellframe provides a lot of digital health management resources to health plans so they can meet members where they are. And then my quote that I am borrowing from someone's upcoming presentation is COVID came in like a wrecking ball. And there's a great comic <laughs> that you need to Google um, that talks about how um, digital transformation isn't coming for a while now. And then all of a sudden COVID comes in. Um, but everyone all of a sudden in March realized they needed to digitize things. Telehealth use jumped 4,000%. If you look at the Google Trends report, it's absolutely off the map. And health became the most important thing to people. So health plans all of a sudden realized they had these gaps and they really needed to start to digitize these resources because people couldn't just go to the doctor anymore. Right. And so things definitely picked up for Wellframe then. I don't think they've slowed down since. But a lot of these organizations are large and they need a lot of help in moving to the new digital space. Did you guys have to evolve at all or were you sort of already at the forefront of it? So I think from an offering perspective, we were at the forefront. We are a completely digital platform. We offer digital solutions. From a marketing strategy perspective, we had to change everything. We did direct mail. You can't do direct mail to people who aren't in an office and don't really have health plan decision makers home addresses. Um, we had to pivot all of our events from live to virtual and find a ton of new partners. I think a lot of people are still figuring out conferences and trade shows and what those look like virtually. So a lot of the things that were core to the B2B space, people always joke like golf tournaments, those relationship building things are actually very important. And doing those in a digital way, in a safe way, was definitely a pivot. You have two sides to the business, right? I mean, you said it's a B2B2C. So on the on the sort of the provider side, do you find yourself having to rely a lot more on um, digital education tools? 
Yes, we definitely have to rely a lot more on not only digital education tools, but customizing the resources that we supply across digital education for how people want to consume content digitally. Very rarely does someone want to sit down and say, yes, I'd like to watch a four hour webinar today. They want things that are bite sized. They want things that are mobile friendly. So for both our health plan decision makers, as well as our members, it's about taking that content and adapting it for digital use. So you're, you're saying mobile. Um how much of your strategy is small screen, I guess? So our strategy on the B2B side is probably a mix across desktop and mobile. It's more about meeting people where they are. On the member side, we really are about that mobile engagement. At its core, Wellframe is a mobile application that people can use to connect with their health plans. So our engagement with our with those members is almost entirely mobile. That's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a very interesting evolution to sort of uh, hear about. And the, the, the core of the question will be, do you think COVID has permanently changed the healthcare industry uh, and the business and how you do business? But the anecdote that I want to use is actually uh, one from uh, my local dentist here in Santa Monica, who is a thousand years old. And um, he is struggling. He's struggling because he, they're still open. They're still providing uh, healthcare, but um, or dental care. But in terms of staying on top of things like follow-ups, appointments, things like billing, um, I could just I could just tell even in, in my interaction with his office that they're just so behind the curve that you probably are dealing with um, a range of providers, some of whom are more advanced, more prepared, more set up, but others like this guy who probably aren't, and uh, they still they still need to do business. Yeah, I think telehealth has fundamentally changed how healthcare is going to be delivered. I do think that we saw a drop off from the initial interest. And what's really important now is to be able to, de to deliver consistent virtual care experiences. And one of the things that I very much get on my soapbox about for Wellframe is that there are telehealth providers. There are people who facilitate the video call conversation you have with your physician. Wellframe is about the moments that happen in between those, so connecting those dots. And I think what people have realized now is that, oh my goodness, my health doesn't happen once a year when I go into my doctor's office, get a few shots, get right. weighed and get blood taken. It's about what happens in between there and how do I constantly monitor how I'm doing. And really Wellframe helps power that relationship. And I know you rely on a lot of data that, uh, Custom, you know, patients, consumers are supplying via your platform. So how do you protect data privacy? And especially because we're so hyper aware uh, about data leaks um, these days. What's, Definitely. What's I mean, people are worried about data leaks of your Amazon email address. Could you imagine with your health data? Yeah. Um, I will say security is of the utmost importance for Wellframe. We have an entire team dedicated to it who watch everything I do as a marketer like a hawk. And I think it's really important because in the age of CCPA and GDPR and all of these opportunities for data breaches, it's constant that we are keeping that top of mind. So we're keeping that secure for members and for plans. So um, as you mentioned before, the healthcare is like the last frontier when it comes to the, the digital transformation. Um, I'd love to dig into like how Wellframe has led the way um, in all of this. And, and I love what you just said now, it's, it's the bits in between your visits, um, which I hadn't thought of before. I'm also terrible at doing healthcare. Um, so like, that is an excellent uh, new frame of reference for me um, it's like, we'd love to dig into that um, and how Wellframe has, has led the way here. 
Right. The fact that you would, healthcare is not something you have to be bad about or something that you dread, that healthcare is just a part of your day-to-day life. Um, so WellFrame began, it, our roots are in digital care management, which are for the highest risk patients, people with chronic conditions, multimorbidities, and taking what's been previously someone calling you and a nurse checking in and how you're doing and pivoting that to digital. So you just got out of the hospital, you just got diagnosed with diabetes, you need that constant care. What we've evolved to and we're pivoting to now is to have our platform also include what we're calling advocacy, which is the idea that you and your health plan have this relationship and we can reimagine it to be something that's super empowering. So you can have a platform where you can talk to your health plan and understand the healthcare that you have, ask questions. If you're worried about something, if you have a question about billing, you have that digital capability. Um, It really helps us provide support outside the four walls of care, outside of that very dark room that you go to once a year and you don't really want to be in. Um, And honestly, we've seen it drives stronger outcomes and it helps people live better and healthier lives. I remember um, a couple of years ago, um, I went along with the agency delegation to CES and one of probably the most fascinating part of that whole experience was actually going to the um, um, I guess the health pavilion or whatever the health, the part that was oriented towards the future of health and just seeing how much energy was being devoted to that in between, um, in between checkups phase of a patient's, um, life, uh, you know, especially when, when it is, when it touches the older generation, how do you make sure that those check-ins happen, that they're useful, that there's, um, you know, there's always, almost, I remember the whole theme of gamification where, um, there was a reward for, uh, doing something that maybe you wouldn't otherwise do. And I actually love an example, the example you have on your own website, um, when you walk, uh, the viewer through in, in that video on the homepage, you, you walk them through the experience and, uh, it, I think it references a patient with potentially diabetes and uh, the nurse is checking in on him and saying, you know, maybe it's time to consider weight loss. And he's like, I don't, I, I kind of don't feel like doing weight loss right now. And I, I kind of chuckled at that because that is probably a barrier, you know, for people. And how do you, how do you enforce that? How do you push people remotely, uh, without making them just shut off the app and never open it again, because that's such an easy thing to do. There's a lot of um, kind of behavioral science that goes into it. So there's definitely the rewards or the incentives, which we'd be, we've even see be successful in just getting people to download the app. Like, why should I download yet another app to my phone? Well, if you're incentive driven, then you're at least likely to use it. And then once you're in there, we use not only a combination of, you know, that dopamine hit of the, the bells ringing when you hit your goals for the day, but also some kind of automated pushes that allow um, these health plans to give people the right next best action, the thing that someone needs to do next. So it isn't this big gap where it's someone says, I got diabetes, three days later, they might hear back, and then they're never back in the application again. So it's about giving people the incentives, the rewards, and ultimately the content that keep them engaged and keep coming back to the platform. I love um, I love an example that someone was recently quoting from um, a book uh, that uh, by David Sedaris, Calypso, uh, where he talks about getting a Fitbit, and um, the the nudges and the vibrations on his wrist um, lead him to sixty five thousand step days, and it's midnight, 
and he's outside his house and he's like, I got 5,000 more steps to do. And his ankles are falling off. And, uh, and his partner asks him like, what are you doing? And this whole <laughs> game, gamification aspect of it and the nudges and the subconscious. And um, I, I wonder from your experience, has the advent of this kind of wearable tech helped your cause as well? Because people are sort of more likely to respond positively to these sort of uh, prompts? It has. Um, we've definitely had the ability to even pull in that data into the app so you can actually see not only your health data, but your step data as well. And then that's available to your care manager. So they can say, great job, Gosha, you've walked your 10,000 steps today. So yeah. it's definitely something that I think has made people more cognizant of their health and then more open to having those conversations digitally. If you don't have a Fitbit, it's harder to even believe that you could be messaging with a nurse through a mobile application. Do you feel there's a difference between adoption when it comes to generations, generation gaps older? How are you dealing with getting older folks to buy into your proposition? It's so funny. Our founder talks about this a lot. Um, we actually don't see that. Um, we don't really see those gaps. You know, that older generation that we think of in our minds is actually a generation that's more active on Facebook than young people are. So this is a generation that's really familiar with using these mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And so we found that we don't actually see an adoption curve drop off with any of those age ranges. You know, there are definitely issues around just the availability of high-speed internet access that I think are likely more of an issue in the virtual care space than someone's age. Interesting. Okay. Is, is this something like with Apple's new push into the, the new um, Apple Watch and their push into healthcare, is this something that you could eventually see um, sort of all of that app, uh, that Apple Watch data being pulled in and even like, you know, bundling the app and the watch together for people to um, really track um the, you know, what they can monitor on their watch. Yeah, I think integrations are going to be a huge part of what WellFrame shifts to as a platform moving forward. And we already have some built out, but continuing to focus in those areas, because what you don't want to do is become yet another app on someone's mobile device. You want to become the app, the digital front door, it, where all of that data is integrated. So you can see your Fitbit data, your Peloton data, and all of that brought together. And I did work in a Peloton reference as a Peloton super fan. I had to. The, yeah, speaking, speaking to the converted, Alex was a Peloton, <laughs> Alex was a Peloton super fan four weeks before his Peloton bike arrived. It's insane. Yeah, damn straight. I mean, I they that I would I'll tell the story again. They they offered the the refund on the bike after they launched Bike Plus, and I was like, that's one of the smartest Your retention strategies. I'm in. I'm well, in. I just it's hit amazing. my 850th ride, Alex. So consider oh. that the gauntlet thrown, and you better oh. catch up. I just did 10. So <laughs> very proud. I'm, I have some more to go, but you know, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, what I've, what I've really enjoyed just, you know, talking at health and an app is the way that the Peloton data gets pulled into your Apple health, which connects to your Apple watch, which means that you've your exercise goal and your move goals get updated through that. Um, what I found really frustrating is you can't do a, timed ride on your watch because it doubles up the data so they need to clean that up and sub and dedupe it um anyways as a spoken as, as, as a performance aside. marketer deduping okay. exactly deduping it's my favorite <laughs> gauche gauche don't double count those conversions alex that would be just <laughs> tragic that would be bad none of that thank you very much um but i talking about conversions and i have my question here um there it is. Um, so yes, um, you manage uh, the the gamut of everything. How 
um, how do you manage the the combo of brand and performance now that you look at the full funnel um, um, and how and sort of how do you manage that and where do you spend a lot of your time um, having those discussions and those I guess those arguments with different people debates spirited debates debates um, debates yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the eternal question of, do you drive leads? Do you drive pipeline? And I think it's different for every organization. And sometimes you need to sit down with an Amazon whiteboard that you bought at the beginning of quarantine and just really write it out for yourself. Um, and so for us, we know that there is a need for us to drive awareness, not only of Wellframe as a solution, but of advocacy and the very industry that we work within. So we know that there's an awareness problem that we need to build and then ultimately drive folks down to conversion. So I will say there's a ton of KPIs that we're looking at. What I'm really looking at is the flow of people through that funnel. Are there breakage points? Do I drive a ton of impressions and absolutely no clicks and no conversions? Or am I driving a ton of conversions? and then sales isn't getting any meetings. So for me, it's about the spaces in between the funnel and not just about driving a ton of one thing or the other. Yeah. And and with with mobile, because it's an app, you're downloading, installing, you know, post-install conversion um, activity and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who work in startups with, with apps. How have you found the... Um, that flow from like desktop research into mobile app install and then post install conversions? I think it's a, it's a challenge. I think it's a space where everyone can always be optimizing, you know, always be optimizing could probably be the <laughs> slogan for a lot of companies these days. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunities to do so. I will say one of the big challenges that I think specifically for those of us that are working in the app space is that desktop to mobile connection. And how do I get someone who found our website or found the solution on a desktop and pick up their phone and scan a QR code or download a mobile app? I think that's probably where people are gonna see the biggest breakage point right now. And then as far as the mobile use, I think that's highly dependent on where the application is. For us, I will say once users are engaged with the app, we are really sticky and people really enjoy and stay within the app experience. But there is that challenge of getting folks from a desktop computer to an app store. Um, is is Apple's uh, change in their um, personal ID, is, how is that going to impact you or how is that going to impact the the sort of the the campaigns that you've you're running right now so we're not running any app install campaigns right now which is good i think we get that some time to shake out i feel like every time apple makes one of these changes i just want to put pause on things for a couple of months and see what it actually means um so luckily we don't have any campaigns like that in market right now but i do think as we start to look into 2021 that will definitely have an impact to the business and as a marketer you love data but as a person you love privacy and so it's important for us to always make sure we're balancing those so now is this time when we wanted to dig into um, Alyssa's amazing advice, um, which is probably something that you you can lean on your multi-brand, multi-very uh, varied experience from uh, from years past as well as what you're doing at Wallframe right now. And we just have a few questions that we wanted to ask that we know our listeners um, are trying to source answers to. And we'll start with potentially the, the one that we hear the most about, which is, what is the one big difference you've noticed between full ownership of your marketing versus sharing the responsibility with an agency? 
I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is who makes the call, who makes the decision. Sometimes I will honestly be asked, you know, what should we do here? And I'll look to my left and I'll look to my right and realize, oh, it's, it's me. I have to make this decision. <laughs> and I think that is really intimidating for a lot of people, but I think it's really important that for those who have started a business or have a lot of experience to trust your instincts, they're coming from the experience that you have. And so I think that's probably the biggest difference. Whereas before, if I made a decision, there were a lot of other people around to either right. question it or validate it. Another one, we kind of touched on this uh, just now, but um, how do you manage um, your budget and or sort of defend the brand building budgets when a lot of people are looking at that, you know, that point of conversion, those KPIs? I'm really fortunate to work with a leadership team that trusts me and understands kind of where we're trying to go as a brand and really bi building the sizzle is a big piece of what we talk about. There's a lot of use of bacon emojis and Slack at Wellframe. I think the best way to kind of protect that brand building budget is to agree early on on what you're trying to do with that budget. Am I trying to do a brand lift study at the end of this? Am I trying to drive a ton of video views? For us, because we're a complex brand that people need to learn a lot about, it's about getting them to our website and keeping them on our website for three to four pages. And so that's how we look at success. But we set that up early on so that when people came back to us, they didn't say, well, what did the campaign do? We already knew what KPIs we'd be looking at. One of the things that I have experienced and I also observe, um, especially in the smaller to mid-sized business space, is this vicious cycle um, vicious cycle of evolution when it talks uh, when we talk about going in-house versus agency and it sort of goes like this and i and i wanted to ask you a question um on, on your thoughts but it goes like this start out do everything in-house get to a certain size get some investment go and get an expensive agency realize you have no idea how to manage the expensive agency start building a case for taking everything back in-house take everything back in-house uh hire a whole bunch of people realize that you actually can only do so much without having additional expertise that you can no longer justify, go back and look for an agency again. When do you go in-house versus hiring an agency in your experience, especially in the context of, you know, a scaling, still smaller growing business? I think for me, the tipping point has been, can I build this expertise internally with maybe one person because I do have a smaller team or do I need to build this expertise externally? I think a great example is what we're doing on the PR side. It is very challenging to build the connections and relationships that PR agencies have internally. It's, it would be very challenging to hire for, and it's just a good resource to have externally. I think you also need to have a team that is comfortable owning the strategy, but sharing that with the agency. And I think what happens when folks hit that cliff of in-house versus agency, they still really are holding that strategy too close to their chest and they're right. not giving the agency enough ownership over helping with the strategy or at least having insight into it. I think the other piece of this is, is what you're looking to solve for temporary is what you need one video. Is it one website redesign? Is it one kind of brand guidelines document. If that's the case, there are highly specialized individuals and even freelancers out there who can service that need. And that might be a better skill set to bring in on a freelancer basis than to hire someone and six months down the road when that project is done, no longer have a need for their expertise. Can an agency ever be a thought partner, like a, an equal thought partner to uh, the leading stakeholders inside a brand? 
I think they need to be to a certain extent. I think where agencies will always struggle is how much we wanted to have input into the strategy without necessarily knowing how much went into it. But I do think there's a degree of sharing and communication that needs to happen that isn't really happening in a lot of agency brand relationships right now, where agencies aren't even really briefed on the strategy before they're told to go run and execute a campaign. Yep. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. <laughs> I think, that was a I very think, deep yup, Alex. There was a lot <laughs> in that yup. But I, I think I think that's um, that's from an agency side. That's really you know not all the time, but it is quite true a lot of the time. And I've definitely had briefings where we've been given something, um, and it doesn't really make sense or it doesn't really work for for the the end goal that we're trying to achieve. And we, we you know we try and feed into that and try and help you know, steer it in a certain way, you know, even if it's through the execution. But you know, you've always run out of time to change it. You're always you know, six weeks behind schedule um, on delivery and all of that. So there's there's not a lot of time. And you know, personally, I would love to be further you know, upstream, um, seeing where the decisions are made and in, in inputting into that um, that area, so that by the time it gets down to the to the agency everyone is aligned and everyone agrees on where to go so it's not new news i think when you get a brief in in its new news then that's that's something broken within the agency client relationship yeah and i just um, i have seen that too much and i think the way that i manage is the way i wish some of my managers had managed me previously and i'm trying to do the same with how we look at agency relationships which is I just wish someone had told me this because if someone had told me this at the beginning, I would have approached things much more differently. And I think uh, clients also just need to be open to being challenged. You hire an agency because they have a breadth of expertise that you don't have internally. And then you immediately devalue their opinions on things. And I think it's really important to listen to that and at least take that feedback in. You don't have to action on it, but at least listen. Any other any other tips on managing an agency? We we referenced it up top, and I think this is something that you have a lot of experience on. <laughs> I have a lot of experience <laughs> in being managed as an agency. Um, I think giving visibility into why things are happening and a lot of timelines and a lot of the things that you actually rush on as an agency are they're self-imposed. They're deadlines that were set internally. And if they're not realistic, we need to take a reset and understand why things are happening the way they're happening. And especially now with everything that's going on, understanding that timelines are going to slip because of external factors, and that's okay. Um, but I do really think the context and the why is something that um, I'm really trying to share with our agencies in terms of our motivations and the direction that we're going. I think that's, I mean, as an agency person, that's great. I'd love to have that. <laughs> <laughs> I have, um, I think there's one final question I'd like to ask you, and that is um, around tech, um, how much should you invest into marketing and analytics tech as a, as a brand versus maybe relying on an outside partner, including an agency to deliver those solutions for you? So I, I'm going to answer your question in two parts. In terms of marketing and analytics tech, I think there has been an overcorrection in the brand space to overinvest in analytics and just your overall tech stack. You don't always need a DMP. I know it sounds really cool and, and most people don't know what it does, but you likely don't really need that. And you don't need a huge analytics suite. You can do a lot with a little and make sure you're using the data that you have before you go invest in something else. 
And in terms of going to an external partner, I think that's a little bit, it's not dangerous. That makes it seem like, oh, marketing, <laughs> like, <laughs> you can drive off a cliff with too much MarTech. But I do think that you are blowing the problem or blowing the needs even further out of proportion by bringing in an external vendor. And you should really exhaust everything you already have and work with a vendor to potentially do that before you go invest in something else. I fully agree with, uh, especially with what you said about uh, the the overcorrection. And I think Alex and I have both seen um, the, I would say in, in 2019, the fastest way of moving $1 million out of a brand into a technology company was by um, hiring, a, onboarding a DMP and having no idea what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> RIP yep. all those useless DMPs <laughs> out there that no one knew what to do with. Just everyone woke up one morning and was like, I think I need a DMP. I dreamed it last night. Yeah, I feel like the DM, a DMP is a corporate version of a treadmill. It just sits there and collects dust. <laughs> but not a Peloton, especially not Alex's not, Peloton. No, or, or 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 the tread, right? I think the Peloton. <laughs> yeah. If you saw well, that one, that one might collect dust. That one, that's a whole different, that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to overcorrect into your Peloton tech like people have into MarTech. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Alyssa, thank you so, so much for joining us. I think uh, your insight into, um, into your own journey, into your own experience going agency to brand side, your tips for other businesses have been extremely helpful, extremely revealing and useful. Uh, we hope that those listening uh, will take something out of this. What we talked today about today is not just specific to the healthcare industry and health tech. It's, I think, applicable to a variety of verticals and uh, hopefully everyone took something out of it. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll hope to do another round once you uh, are on the other side of, of this uh, client summit, the pandemic and everything else. That sounds great. Thank you for having me.